2: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. It's Sunday night and with the Premier League back in full swing, that means just one thing. The Football Social Daily Premier League review show is back and we are here to get stuck into another absolutely packed weekend of action. Nine games across the last 48 hours and here on the Football Social Daily we are covering them all. In part one we look at the blue and the red halves of Manchester. Jack Grealish finally got himself out in front of the Etihad and he marked his home debut with a goal. City swept on to a 5-0 win over Norwich but it was less positive for United down on the South Coast. Ollie's men drew one all against Southampton. In part two, we check out the other early possible movers and shakers in the title race. Romelu Lukaku is back in the Premier League and he marked his second coming at Chelsea with a goal as they absolutely cruised on past Arsenal. Another win for Liverpool, 2-0 this time as they got back to a packed Anfield with three points against Burnley before the slightly... Not quite completely Harry kane-less Spurs picked up another 1-0 win. Nuno Santo getting three points on his comeback at Molyneux. And then to wrap things up in part three of the show, we pop around the other four games this weekend with some huge wins for Brighton and for a Grealish-less Aston Villa right then let's get ourselves started my name's Fergal Brennan and on tonight's podcast we have Man United fan and podcaster Rob Blanchett from the Masterclass podcast Rob how are you doing I'm great Fergal how are you I'm very very good back to normality back to reality of the uh, Premier League season Uh, and joining us in the blue corner we have the Athletics Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee Sam how's things
1: all good yeah all good good to have the premier league back a nice good
2: solid sunday football plenty to talk about can't have it any other way smashing stuff right the champions is where we're going to get started sam obviously we're going to go to you on this for manchester city dominant stuff really from guardiola and city against norwich Difficult to kind of gauge what we can glean from it as a result or as a performance. They're expected to batter Norwich, particularly on the back of losing against Tottenham on the opening yeah. day. So 5 0 but but fairly routine. I suppose the interesting point coming out of this was the substitutions made by Pep. No chance of him taking his foot off the accelerator after the break. And Sterling, Mares both came on and both got themselves a goal. Heading into the international break, obviously we're trying to gauge whether City are going to get Harry Kane. We'll talk about that a bit later when we, we talk about Spurs, but. Plans are going to be made for whether Kane comes in or whether he doesn't come in. And as it stands now for City, Guardiola is going to have to make plans for the potential that he could come in or the potential that he could miss out. He's got a lot of options, but eventually some big decisions are going to have to be made over his starting eleven.
1: Yeah, but I mean, that's been the case for years and especially last season. Towards the end of last season, it was OK because he had basically two 11s, and I don't think the ones in the second 11 were especially pleased about it when it was obvious that, you know, the likes of Foden, De Bruyne, Bernardo, Silver, Gunda when they were playing in the first the first 11, but ultimately everyone was getting game time. Start of the season, there's no real opportunity to mix things around too much only for, to give people minutes. Um, so he moved things around yesterday. In terms of plans with Kane, without Kane, he they, they just, just needs to pick a team that's going to win the game at the moment. Kane's not there at the moment, so he needs to find a way of doing it the interesting thing for me was Ferran Torres bought as a right winger played striker Gabriel Jesus played as a striker played right wing and it seems like that's how it's going to be from now on Jesus no longer considered a striker um, more considered a winger when he's normally done that City's he been on the left he did it on the right yesterday officially he got two assists but it was three really he was very good um, so it looks like there's going to be no takes for him this summer if there'd have been a bit more money in the market he might have left but it looks like he's going to stay And if he plays on that right wing like he did yesterday, which I'm sure he'll get another chance next week against Arsenal, uh, then that could be a very interesting one for him. Um, And that'll be whether Kane comes in or not.
2: Obviously, looking at the situation, you mentioned Torres, you mentioned Jesus playing out wide. Last season, it was more on the left-hand side. Yesterday, he got his chance on the the right and he he was creative in, in everything he did. And he was a pest and it's difficult as Norwich found it. He was probably the person they struggled to deal with the most on the day. Going into the summer, obviously, with the Kane talk, the the big focus was on Jesus through the middle. Maybe if Kane didn't come in, would he stick to that role? But as you say, Pep is perfectly willing to play him out wide. We've seen that he's got necessarily just not a one-track skill set of playing through the middle. These contingency plans, we're about a week out from the transfer deadline closing, have to be made because there's no guarantee on on what is going to happen with Harry Kane. If Kane doesn't come in, which is obviously a, a fairly strong possibility as it stands... Pepe is going to have to shake it up. Do you think Jesus playing out wide could be a long-term thing this season? To let Sterling play through the middle, or or, or Torres as he did yesterday?
1: Yeah, like I say, it's uh, whether Kane comes or not. At the moment, they need they just need to play to win the game. It's not about you do this because this is what Kane would do. Um, and Jesus playing on the right, yeah. Um, like I say, it's that's something we're going to have to get used to now. We should stop thinking of Torres as a, as a winger. Um, if we did before anyway, and stop thinking of Jesus particularly as a striker. The way Guardiola was talking about after the game, it's very clear that he believes they've basically got the opposite skill sets, that Torres is more of a penalty box striker. He's got that sense of goal. Um, he says more so than Jesus. He says Jesus as a player likes to play wider, a bit more time to find the ball, different body shapes, all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it, it's definitely a long-term thing. And like I say, whether Kane comes in or not, if we see Gabriel Jesus on the right, that's more to do with you know, his particular skill set as he sees it and as Guardiola sees it rather than, you know, whether Kane comes or not. It's just how it is really. It's how he's developed as a player.
2: Um, And looking at Norwich in terms of their performance, Rob, two defeats back to back. We knew it wasn't going to be easy for them coming up to the Premier League. Lost against Liverpool on the opening day and then just blown away by City this weekend. Looking at some of the stats, Daniel Fark has stuck by his team that have come up from the Championship by and large. Same starting eleven in the last two games. But, you do get the sense, yes it is difficult, we are right at the start of the season, but you you do get the feeling that mistakes and lessons haven't really been learnt from, from last time out and it could be a very, very long season for Norwich unless they change things.
0: It very much feels like deja vu, I think, with Norwich. I think these early games that we've seen, uh, we know that they're a good team. We saw what they did in the championship last year. And even when they came up in the previous incarnation, I think everyone was entertained by their style of football. But they're going to find it really, really tough, I think, against most of the, say, top 10 or top dozen teams in the league. Uh, And that's going to put them kind of right at the cusp of that relegation conversation. Um, They've got weeks to sort out. It's very early on. Second game is nothing to kind of get too excited about at the moment but when you actually look at their squad and their depth it doesn't really kind of lend itself to to think that it might well be a successful campaign
2: Looking across to the other side of Manchester one all for United on the south coast at Southampton Rob obviously based on the first weekend of the season fantastic against Leeds just didn't really give Bielsa's side a kick at Old Trafford this is a little bit of a damp squib this time round. Southampton, we, you know, we've seen during the closed season, they've done some good business to to bring in players and, and strengthen in areas that they wanted to. Yes, they've lost Ings and, and Yannick Vestergaard at the other end, but they are a very complete and a very competitive Premier League team. But looking at this from a United perspective, this is a disappointing result. City have started well, Liverpool and Chelsea have both started with 100% records. United cannot afford to miss a step, even at this early stage. And this type of a result is exactly what Oli doesn't want.
0: Absolutely. I said before the match as well, that this is the kind of game that you can go to Southampton and play poorly, but as long as you get the three points, no one really cares. So go there, get the job done, and then you're a title challenger. If you can do that every week, that's where you want to be. But unfortunately, Manchester United didn't do that today for United fans. Um, I think they probably had maybe a 15-minute spell, maybe 20 minutes tops where they looked the more dominant side. But overall, the display really was abject, very, very difficult, moving the ball through the midfield. I think Harry Maguire probably had one of his worst games in the United shirt for a year. Uh, And it all kind of added up to the, the fact that getting a point on the day was probably the right result, but certainly not the result that United wanted.
2: In terms of lineup, two changes from that from that Leeds game: McTominay and James out, and Martial and Martial and Matic coming into the team. That doesn't just affect it in terms of the lineup; it changes it in terms of system and the way that Solskjaer looks to do things. Yes, this was an away game, and Southampton, as I mentioned, are a good team that can't be underestimated, based on their performances last season. But This, again, kind of goes back to that argument that United fans have with Solskjaer every now and again, that he's too conservative in games that United have got the players to just go out and win. Fred and Matic both playing in a game like this, was it needed?
0: Yeah, I think it shows that Manchester United's depth, even though they have obviously improved the squad over the summer, that they're still a little bit short in certain positions. So I think we saw in Macic stepping in today that he really just cannot produce the energy that Scott McTominay brings to the team. And obviously he's an experienced player, but you could see just how that affected United's movement of the ball today. So. I think going forward, I don't think that Matic will really be a, a part of the rotation for Solskjaer. I think he tried it today, obviously coming through the, the preseason period, Matic did actually play lots of games for United during that spell, but it didn't work today. It was, it was wholly dysfunctional and even when Jadon Sancho came on in the second half, United couldn't really move the ball and get the ball into attacking areas and it really, it really hurt their ability to affect this result and actually get a victory.
2: And Sam, just quickly looking at Southampton, it's not been a great start for them. Losing to Everton on the opening day and then won all against United today. Based on balances of chances, as I said to Rob, they could have maybe nicked it. Adam Armstrong had a chance to get back-to-back goals. Good save from David De Gea. But the signs don't yeah. look great. And, and on the back of Vestergaard and Ings moving on, there's been some smart business coming into St. Mary's. But Hassan hoodle needs to get some positive results on the board so we can start showing the kind of end of 2021 Southampton.
1: Yeah, but I mean they they were all right today, considering the the quality they had to face in United. Obviously, Rob's covered United shortcomings there and the problems in midfield. So it's maybe not facing the the best best teams in the Premier League, but obviously United are up there. Um, but it wasn't all bad for Southampton, like you say. Armstrong had that good chance when Maguire got robbed of the ball. Um, Liverpool enter right back, got man of the match on Sky. I saw highlights of him play against Everton last week. He was fantastic obviously man of the match again today 18 years old right back he's keeping carl walker peters out of the team uh, i think he got moved up to right wing in the second half he's absolutely fantastic so yeah they've, they've lost a lot of players obviously but they kept james ward Prowse and livermentos are very exciting so you know i'm not i wouldn't say i'm expecting big things from southampton but possibly not as bad as it looked a week ago shall we say
2: and just quickly on United before we take a quick, qu- take a quick break, Rob. Uh, Rafa Varane in the squad for the first time. Obviously, his paperwork was delayed and he he kind of would have been hoping to maybe be ready for the first game of the season. That didn't happen. United fans were expecting maybe to see a little bit of him today. If things had been going different, if United were in front, maybe he could have come on for 10 or 15 minutes to get a run out. Based on the fact that Sasha is going to have to ease him into the team and into his plans, when do you think United fans can expect to see Varane Uh, In the United team
0: Well soon Hopefully But I think with the nature Of the game today Ole had to try and find a way To try and win the match Uh, So it wasn't a kind of game Where you could give Varane Maybe some 15-20 minutes Uh, It was more set up To try and find the three points But I think Varane's clearly going to be an automatic selection at Manchester United. He will be in the team ahead of Lindelof. It's just a case of now getting him fit, getting him ready for the Premier League. That might still take a week or two, and I think United fans will have to be patient.
2: Uh, and also in terms of business, obviously we mentioned to Sam the potential of Harry Kane. I'm pretty sure Sam never wants to hear Harry Kane's name again. He's been asked so many questions online about him in the last few weeks. Um, United have brought in Varane, they've brought in Jaden Sancho, obviously for big money. Can you see any more new faces coming into Old Trafford? As I say, around a week to go before the transfer window closes. Is there another move in the offing?
0: I think United are looking for a third player, but the the problem comes down to finances at the end of the day. So, United have now spent in excess of um, obviously £100 million. They're playing to these two players around half a million pound in wages. I think when you kind of add the numbers up in these COVID times, I think United will probably, unless they find a bargain somewhere, be done with their business for now. Um, but they do need to strengthen that midfield. They do understand that. And maybe Matic's performance today will be the trigger to see them go out and try and strengthen that part of the park.
2: Yeah, potentially, potentially. In the final week of the transfer window, there's always excitement, but there's always a fair bit of nonsense that gets thrown around. We're going to call it there for part one, Manchester United, Manchester City covered. In part two, we're looking at the other title challengers. Tottenham, who for now have still got Harry Kane in their ranks. Liverpool, another three points for Jurgen Klopp this weekend. And of course, Chelsea. Romelu Lukaku is back in blue. We're going to be talking about those three games in just a second Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, with the Premier League season back up and running, we here at FSD are back to seven days every day of the week. We are here with a daily Premier League podcast. If you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new one as soon as it is ready. Right, City and United both covered and their second weekend of the Premier League season. We're going to move to some of the other big challenges or expected challenges Challenges for the Premier League title this season Sam, Chelsea, the big news Romelu Lukaku is back, back in blue he wasn't registered in time for their first game of the season, beating Palace last weekend, but a debut against Arsenal and it couldn't really have gone any better a goal, man of the match performance and one of the standout stats for me from Lukaku from this game is he only had three touches of the ball before scoring on 15 minutes to to get them 1-0 up at the Emirates, given the fact that there's so much talk about the impact of big signings, Grealish joining Manchester City, Sancho at United, the potential of of what's going to happen with Harry Kane. Romelu Lukaku, in a strange way, has been a tiny, tiny bit under the radar. But based on today and based on what Thomas Tuchel wants from him, he is as big, if not bigger, in terms of impact for what he could do at Stamford Bridge. He's phenomenal. Um, You say he
1: couldn't have gone much better, but every time the ball didn't come to him, he looked really annoyed he probably could have had a hat-trick there was a fantastic save by Leno which um, Lukaku could, could barely believe uh, in terms of the stats you, you say the, your favourite stat I, I've seen he received 22 progressive passes in one game um, that might not mean too much but basically a pass that gets the team up the pitch moves the, moves the game along the second second most was Mount the seven and it, it goes to show how important he is in terms of the balls they're playing to his feet that's how the, his first goal came he dropped off got it laid it off ran to the box and the cross came in and he finished it um, he was doing the whole game like I say he could have had more more goals than that um, he settled in perfectly he's you know he's imposed his personality on the team already the flip side of the coin is Arsenal let it happen um, they weren't great they, they clung on in the second half but to be fair it could have been four or five um And, yeah, as for Chelsea, they look very good. It looks like there's been a good adaptation to to Lukaku already. And, obviously, next Saturday, without getting too ahead of ourselves, on a review pod, they've got Liverpool. So, Lukaku against Van Dijk will be fantastic.
2: Obviously, looking at the situation with Lukaku coming in, Thomas Tuchel, Champions League winners last season, they've defended, sorry, not defended, they've they've gone in and won the European Super Cup against Bidder Real before the season kicked off. Things have gone absolutely swimming. Five goals in two games, no goals conceded. Rob, when you look at Lukaku, and he was so brilliant for Inter, perceptions of him in the Premier League are kind of mixed. and I just wanted to get your view on this. At United, I looked at his performances and thought he, he was absolutely outstanding. I think it was the wider situation at United that impacted him. A lot of what went on around Romelu Lukaku at United wasn't necessarily Lukaku's fault. He's gone to Inter proved any potential doubts wrong that he, that he is a world-class striker and he's now coming back and as Sam said he looks so hungry if he's not getting the ball he looks annoyed if he's not getting the ball in the positions where he can score goals he's angry that's what Tuchel wants that's what Chelsea fans want on the back of this and on the back of how it ended with United is there a little tinge of sadness based on the fact that he could have been this player for United
0: well, I've been asked a lot about Romelu in the last couple of weeks, especially obviously when the Chelsea deal was announced. Um, I think when you look at his time at United, there were many things wrong with Manchester United at the time when he came to the football club. That transition really from Van Gaal into Mourinho, and then obviously into Oleg and Solskjaer, he was kind of left on the lay by really with that in terms of being a striker and out and out number nine who had no one to feed him, no one to create for him, and he still managed to actually return pretty good numbers. I think the irony of it is now is that the way that Solskjaer has rejuvenated United over a couple of year period looking at Jaden Sancho coming to the football club as well that Romelu Lukaku would almost be the perfect striker for Manchester United today in 2021 uh, but I think when he departed for Inter Milan it was the right move for all parties I think United needed to move their project on and do something different and Lukaku certainly wanted a new challenge and uh, he was very very keen to move to Italy at that point in his career
2: uh, Sam, looking at Arsenal, things do look worrying. Just looking at some of the numbers here, obviously, Erdegaard and, and Aaron Ramsdale brought in over the weekend. That brings them to between 135 and 140 million in terms of new faces this summer. That's the highest in the Premier League. Erdegaard and Ramsey not registered in time to play today. laconga did. Tavares came on for his home debut. There's an enormous amount of money that's been spent at Arsenal Football Club this season, despite not being in Europe, but the start of the season has gone dreadfully. 2-0 defeat to Brentford on the opening weekend and then just absolutely outclassed by Chelsea today and a 2-0 defeat. No points, no goals. Things do look rough and, and obviously Arteta, we talk of him mostly still connections with City and Pep Guardiola and how highly he rated he was as a coach during his time at City and his, his early days at Arsenal. But Arsenal, we know as a fan base, they're not slow to get the knives out. They're not slow to call for managers' heads if things are going badly given the fact that he has spent so much money and despite the fact that he is a capable coach, inevitably there is going to be some big, big pressure on him in the weeks to come, particularly based on their next run of games.
1: Yeah, as you say, my mate was saying earlier do you think uh, Arteta will go soon? And I was like, I I feel like he's got time but it can certainly escalate when Arsenal are concerned and that's kind of the worry now. Um, City next weekend although, you know, City aren't firing on, on all cylinders yeah after pre-season I know they won 5-0 no, yesterday but they're not um, you'd expect City to win that then you'd need the break to kind of regather and I know they've got Norwich after that so it's, that gets a little lighter then um, the thing with Arsenal is with that money they've spent you know you look at the fact that they've spent more than anybody else this summer but you still look at the squad not today because the three most expensive players or the three of the recent players anyway weren't in it but generally and you just think how, how has so much money been spent on that squad? And then you look at it and you think Saka and Smith-Rowe are two of the better players anyway and it didn't cost anything. Mm. But then again, you've got Aubameyang to come back, you've got Lacazette to come back and, I mean, they're a world away from Chelsea. That's that's just the reality. Like just, It's just just a different planet. But in terms of what they're hoping to achieve this season, what, between between 4th and 7th, I suppose, is what... would be regarded as a good season I think they could get that mm. um, they've got the thing is it's difficult for me to judge because they've got so many good players players that are appealing on the eye like I said Saku and Smith-Rowe Lukonga looks decent I, I like how, how he plays and then Martinelli's got a bit about him but when you compare him to Lukaku today which may be harsh you just think yeah a long way to go but like I say Lacazette Aubameyang to come back no. Ben White needs time to settle in there's there is a, there is a, not a lot, a lot. You know, They're not going to get a top four, but a lot to be mm, more positive that, that things are going to happen better than they have done so far. But I appreciate if you've got good players there and they're not particularly showing it, you've got to probably look at the manager. And to bring that back to Arteta, yeah, it, it does feel like if the next, I don't know, five, five weeks don't go well, if you include the international break, then it, it might be time off it might be time off because they do have good players and and when you spend money and you're given money you are going to be expected to do something with it
2: Rob looking in terms of transfers I think Sam makes a really interesting point there 135-ish million pounds have been spent on new faces but Arsenal fans might potentially be looking at the names that have come in particularly the positions that have been strengthened and Maybe feeling a little bit short changed. Ben White, 50 million. Erdegaard, 35 million. Uh, Ramsdale was between 30 and 35. You've got Ramsdale, who obviously is coming in with this reputation of being relegated twice Bournemouth, Sheffield United. Erdegaard was on loan at Arsenal last season. Clearly wanted to go back to Madrid. Didn't really work out. Ancelotti agreed to the sale. Ben White has been touted around. Liverpool, City were both rumoured to be interested in him. There's a little bit of a feeling of players that were just kind of left on the shelf. Arteta has money in his pocket. He's desperate to make an impact and make a change. And he's just brought in a lot of random pieces. Arsenal fans will look at this and say, this is the most money we've spent in the best part of a decade without any signings coming in that are really going to get Gunners fans excited.
0: Yeah, and it's a strange vibe about Arsenal because even though they've made all these signings, spent all of this money, and don't forget that £135 million in these COVID times is actually a much bigger sum of your percentage of your revenues from going back in time. There's nothing about this team that I'm excited about. There's absolutely nothing that I look at and think, yep, they're going to kick into gear. They're going to find another level. Arteta's going to show that he's not just Pep's mate. He's going to show that he's a, an elite coach and he's going to take it all forward. Um as it stands I can really see this being a a difficult spell for Arteta and if he doesn't get it right I think by November you could see a new manager at the helm uh, at the Emirates and these players that have come in you know will they even last a year or two are they really the right players to take Arsenal to where they want to be you saw today there's a huge gap between Chelsea and Arsenal probably the biggest gap there's been now for maybe a decade or two Um, and Chelsea are moving in the right direction whereas Arsenal are going backwards
2: Uh, Looking across the Spurs, we're going to talk about Harry Kane in a second, but Sam, in terms of performances, Nuno Santo, he's doing everything he can to make Tottenham not about Harry Kane at the moment. Obviously, he's constantly going to be asked in press conferences about him until his future is settled, but back-to-back 1-0 wins, obviously winning on the opening day, and then 1-0 on his return to Molyneux today. Deli Ali getting himself a penalty with no Kane in the team. He's taken over spot-kick duties, and given the fact that all Nuno will want to do, as cliched as it sounds, is concentrate on what's going on in the pitch get results make sure that he's not being asked questions of or his position potentially coming under threat tottenham have looked quite solid and, and just looking at some of the the stats from city and then from wolves today they had less possession against city and then again today they had less possession than wolves but won both games 50 percent of the shots on target against city and then again today including the the penalty for ali went in this is real efficiency from them without being particularly easy on the eye or or tearing teams to bits they're winning games, looking strong looking comfortable and all of this with Harry Kane not really being involved
1: I'd know about looking comfortable today uh, against Wolves, I think Wolves had some good chances and they missed a lot of good chances like they did in the first weekend against Leicester Um, scoring 50% of their their shots whatever it was there's something about that coupled with the fact that they were somewhat lucky today makes makes me think it sounds unsustainable a little Um, the other thing and I'll I'll come back around to some positive things in a minute if any Spurs fans are listening and thinking I'm being overly down on them but (laughs) Spurs fans you know especially when Daniel Levy was talking about replacing Mourinho early in the summer and he said he wanted to play football the right way again which is what Spurs fans have always wanted and they never liked Mourinho I would say understandably because he didn't bring that type of football now obviously Nuno has got a bit more breathing space because he started with two wins in the in the Premier League at least and the fans are, are very happy with that but when they're at home against a team that's not Man City when they're home against Southampton or Villa or even Leicester and you can't just sit back and wait for counter-attacks and you've got to generate something which is what his Wolves team struggled with last season That's when Spurs fans might start thinking we need to see a bit more. So yeah, it's been it has been a good start. But in terms of his style, there were doubts about him in the summer. He's put those off for now because of a good start in terms of results. But I do think as the weeks go by, there might be you know that question might be asked a bit more in terms of his his suitability. And like yeah, like I say, Wolves it could have been a different result on a different day. So uh, I'm not I'm not getting too overboard on Spurs so far. They. You know, there's, there's no bitterness from me covering City. They, I would say, on the balance of things, they probably deserve to win that game last Sunday. So that's fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go too overboard just yet. It it it's still early days. But what he has given them is something solid to work with while Kane's not there. Because, yeah, as much as it's annoying to talk about a lot, you know, that'll be even more the case for them, and it is a distraction. Um, and they have done quite well to to work with that going on. So fair play in that respect. But we'll, we'll see how it goes.
2: Rob, as Sam says, Nuno's essentially working in an incredibly difficult situation. In terms of Kane's future, he's got very little control over this. This is an inherited situation from Mourinho and probably going as far back as Muzio Pochettino. Daniel Levy is ultimately going to be the decision maker in terms of whether or not he accepts a bid for Kane and whether Kane leaves or not. Santo can only realistically work with the players that he's got and, and look to kind of adapt to an evolving situation when it comes to, to Kane. Bergwijn, Son and uh, Lucas Moura started again today. Kane did get on for 15 minutes or so and the, and the Spurs fans were, were singing for him. He almost got himself a goal. But inevitably, Nuno is in the difficult position where whatever happens, he is going to have to pick up the pieces. If Kane leaves, it is going to be Bergvine, Moura and Son. You can't look at this and say, two games, Kane hasn't started, they've got six points, they don't need Harry Kane. Of course they need Harry Kane, he's arguably the best striker in the Premier League. But the signs look as if that if he goes and they don't have time to get someone in before the summer window, Son, Mora, and Bergvine have got enough to at least keep Tottenham ticking over until the January transfer window. And then Nuno can look to address the situation if Kane moves on.
0: Yes, and I think for Nuno, it might actually buy him some extra time. So we talked about him being a a kind of a little bit of a left field choice for Tottenham at the time when he got the job. Um, Obviously, the, the rumblings around Harry Kane have been going on for months now. And I still think there's a feeling that Harry Kane might stay one more year at Tottenham Hotspur, depending on Daniel Levy's idea of price and what he expects from Manchester City in any bid. But for Nuno, I think it's about steadying the ship after you know a period under Mourinho, which wasn't so bad. You know, I know people kind of re- remember it now as being a, a, a bit of a poor spell, but it was only this time last year where Tottenham were top of the league and flying and looking like a team that were going to move forward. Uh, here we are 12 months on. Yes, Harry Kane wants to leave the football club. They still have some very good players. And I think for Nuno, it's just about stability. So if he can even get through the next 12 months and then maybe get to a summer transfer window where he can rebuild a bit, a little bit more extensively, then I think that will be good for him. Where they get their goals from, I think you'll see Sun play through the middle more this season. And we know that that if he's given service, that he will score. So they'll still have the ability to win football matches. It just might be that the expectations will need to be tempered in North London.
2: Uh, Moving on to Liverpool, we expect them to be in the title shake-up this season, Sam. The big focus from Liverpool this season has not necessarily been incomings. Ibrahima Kanate has been the big signing that they've made, but Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool fans have have focused more on players coming back from injury. Joe Gomez, Virgil van Dijk and and Jordan Henderson obviously missed huge chunks of last season. They've come back into the team and 2-0 win against Burnley this weekend, not quite as exciting and free flowing as maybe we're used to seeing Liverpool in certain performances particularly last season but we talked about Nuno solidity looking to steady things and kind of manage the Kane situation Klopp's position now is all these players have come back in, they've had a summer to recover from those injuries. Henderson obviously didn't play a massive amount with England at Euro 2020. The signs look good because there's just been a freshness inserted into the squad and whilst there's not been an enormous amount of big names and transfers coming in, things do look good for Liverpool so far.
1: Yeah, they do. I think that, I think we could predict that based on the, the run of games they had at the end of last season to get back into the top four. Once they got, obviously not Van Dijk, but once they got some centre-backs back in, it meant that they could put their midfielders back in midfield and then all, all of a sudden they've rediscovered the the tempo to their game particularly by putting Fabinho back in there um, and that was a big issue it wasn't just losing their centre-backs last season it was losing their midfielders as well um, because they had some drop back that had a huge impact but now they're back in their proper positions and Van Dijk's back now we're talking about this season that for me in terms of who's going to challenge City most for the title I think Chelsea are obviously up there but I think the biggest challenges Will be Liverpool, and yeah, they've they've started well, um, and yeah, we've done it without um, any major signings, without any major freshness, But I think they've got a bit of impetus and a bit of motivation from elsewhere, especially you know, like yesterday, going back to Anfield with the fans. That's that's always huge for them, and I think that'll be big all season for them. Uh, and yeah, as long as as long as they don't have any kind of catastrophic injuries like they had last season, because it's not the biggest squad, then I think they'll be right up there.
2: Looking at some of the players, Rob, in terms of Liverpool's options and what Jurgen Klopp can do in the next couple of weeks, we touched on Jota last week and how it's kind of now looking as if he is first choice over Roberto Firmino. Firmino is going to play more of a rotating role with Jota up top with Salah and, and Sadio Mane either side of him. In midfield, there's a bit of a selection decision for for Klopp to make. Sam made the point there that last season with the injuries, we were seeing midfielders having to play centre-back, Fabinho, even Henderson occasionally was playing centre-half, and that completely disrupted the structure of their midfield because Fabinho wasn't there in that protective role that allows Henderson and and obviously Wijnaldum who's moved on or Thiago who's come in to get forward, express themselves and, and affect the game higher up the pitch. But... An interesting name that was possibly kind of forgotten last season, and maybe even this summer, is Naby Keita. Back-to-back starts. He started the first game of the season and then started again yesterday as they won 2-0 against Burnley. We talked a little bit about Arsenal fans maybe thinking that they've been shortchanged with summer business um, coming into the club in the last few weeks. Liverpool fans might look at a similar kind of situation with Naby Keita. Lots of promise when he joined them from RB Leipzig, but... They haven't really seen the kiter that they paid that money for. and Injuries have played an issue. Obviously, last season, he was probably one of the ones to suffer because he's not the most defensively minded. And Jurgen Klopp had to kind of go safety first in terms of his selections. With Wijnaldum gone this season, is he now the favourite to take over that position next to Henderson? Or do you think Klopp is just going to trot out the we need a big squad, we need to rotate line?
0: No, I think he's going to get plenty of games this year. I think with Winaldum leaving the, the football club, that opens up a, a window for him to be able to to move into and, and get more minutes than, than we've seen over the previous year before. I think what's interesting about Liverpool, we know about their injuries from last season. We know about uh, what happened with Van Dijk. But interestingly, watching them through pre-season for work and seeing what they've done just in these opening games, you know, as a United fan, I'll say this, I kind of fear them. Watching them and I just thought I wanted to see what was happening in those opening matches and they played 4-2-3-1 last year and had to be a little bit more defensive and that ruined really a lot of their, their effective shape. This year, they're back to playing the system that won them the title, that won them the Champions League with a really settled squad. So I think this is a situation where not buying players might actually help you. You know, we've seen that one or two have stepped up. You know, we saw uh, Sibikas, uh, fullback, who's come out of pretty much nowhere. If you don't know Liverpool, you won't know who he is. And he's Mm -hmm. come in and showed that he can play in the Premier League. So I think Klopp's got plenty at his disposal. I don't think we'll see too much rotation. I think he would like to have a core of maybe 14 or 15 that he plays through the season. But of course, injuries will dictate that.
2: Uh, and quickly, before we take a break, obviously, we talked about City and United in terms of transfer business, Sam. Canate's come in. Maybe that might be a little bit of a, a hangover from last season where Klopp was massively caught short with Gomez having his injury problems, Van Dijk, and then Joel Matip missing, I think, three or four months, which meant that they had to bring in Ben Davies, Reese Williams, Nathaniel Phillips got a, a lot of football at, at centre-back. Given the fact that they're now completely covered, Van Dijk and Gomez are fit again and, and ready to start games. Klopp? does seem to be looking to maybe bring in one or two more new faces do you think that is going to be the case or do you look at this as a squad and say it's rounded enough don't upset the apple cart these players have come back in that's the focus let's just kick on with the season
1: I don't think they are are they looking for anybody else Um, I'm not sure in terms of upsetting the apple cart I think they could always do with somebody else because like I said it's not the biggest squad Uh, it would be good for them if Kater does contribute this season because they've not They've not seen the the value from him, um, but like I was saying before, they 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 look in a good place. And so when you say do, don't upset the apple cart, it does it does appeal to me that um, I always think you need to you need to freshen things up going into a season, and I'd say to do that beyond just bringing in Konate, who they need, um, but like I said, they've they've got that kind of impetus from elsewhere. I said that earlier on, so I think if they didn't sign anybody. I wouldn't be thinking they're any less likely to win the title because, yeah, they got Jota who, who came in last summer. He he's still got a lot of points to not points to prove, but he's got a lot of impact to make. Considering he got injured last season, and Firmino started quite well as well. So no, if they if they didn't sign anybody, I, th- I don't think it would be a big deal.
2: Yeah, I agree. There's probably going to be a few movers and shakers, but I think it's more likely that we see players heading out of Anfield before the transfer window closes. Gents, we're going to call it there for part two. After the break, we're going to be looking at the other four games this weekend. The other three teams that have got six points from two games, Tottenham, Liverpool and Chelsea have already recovered, but Brighton find themselves right in the mix. Two wins, back-to-back victories for Graham Potter's side. We're going to be talking about them in part three, alongside a big win for Aston Villa and an absolute worldy of a goal for Danny Ings we're going to be covering all of that in just a second Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football's Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. We've covered some of the title challengers, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. Well, maybe not Arsenal for title challengers and Tottenham. To wrap up tonight's show, we're going to be talking about the other four games this weekend. And we get ourselves started with Leeds against Everton. Rob, fans returning, going back to stadiums, kind of a little bit of settling back into normal life. They're the big feature stories from the first couple of weeks of the campaign. We had Old Trafford on the opening weekend. We had Anfield this weekend. But it's very, very easy to dismiss Elland Road. I know, obviously, as a United fan, you've got an enormous rivalry with with Leeds. But it's been so long that Leeds fans have not been inside Elland Road for a Premier League game. 2004 is uh, when we go back to the last time that Leeds fans were able to sit down inside Elland Road and watch a Premier League match. They were back in. They were full of noise this weekend. And despite not the most positive result and not a brilliant performance, I actually think on the balancer game, Everton were maybe unlucky not to nick it late on. Leeds having their fans behind them is such an unknown quantity for so many teams in the Premier League because they've been out of it for so long. If they can harness that in the next few weeks and months and improve things on the pitch, they could be a real force.
0: Absolutely and I think as well when you think they came up obviously as champions before from the, from the championship and exerting their, their uh, the Bielsa style of football on the Premier League and trying to do something a little bit different. Now they've got this added weapon of their own crowd at Ellen Road you would expect them to have uh, to be more effective. What I will say is that I think that teams might have worked out some of Bielsa's tactics in terms of mitigating them and negating them so that might be a difficult uh, thing for Leeds themselves. But having that crowd back at Ellen Road, that will drive them on in certain games and and win them points. And they're one of the great historical clubs of this country. You know, I think uh, even as a Manchester United fan, I think a strong Leeds United is good for English football. So I think uh, Bielsa, he might have to do some wheeling and dealing in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure what moves they will make, but they need to maybe just strengthen their squad slightly just to take them through this next 12-month period.
2: And looking at Everton, Sam, Rafa Benitez first game back uh, on Merseyside last weekend and he got a win against Southampton, a draw away at Leeds this weekend. And he is going to constantly be asked, or, or certainly in the first few weeks and months of his time as Everton boss, there's always going to be these connections with Liverpool and his relationship with the fans and the fact that how confident is he of winning over all of the fans but he's he's dealing with it in such a brilliant way by essentially saying judge me by my results judge me by my performances i'm not interested in in getting involved in all that type of speculation and Based on what he's done so far, it was a difficult job replacing Carlo Ancelotti given his legacy within the game. But the signs do look good. Everton fans might say it's not the most exciting and it's a little bit of a throwback looking to play with wide players, Richarlison and Gray or or Andros Townsend and and getting the ball into Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But back-to-back goals for Calvert-Lewin, a positive start and four points on the board after two games. So far, so good for Rafa.
1: Yeah, so far, so good. But like I was saying earlier about Tottenham, maybe not accepting Nuno's style long-term. I think Everton would be... uh, I think they'd be more willing to accept Benitez and the style if they keep getting results. You know, wingers getting wide and putting balls into the box is the Everton way that uh, certainly I've got used to over the last 20, 30 years. I don't think the fans are any different. Um, I know they flirted with Martinez and Koeman, but I don't think they mind that type of football. Um, It's a difficult one with... With Benitez, because of all the things you mentioned, I know Everton are absolutely obsessed with FFP. They that explains some of their really cheap signings. Um, they've not got a lot of money to spend, and you know they've they've kind of you know they're gonna have to find a solution with James Rodriguez um, because he just doesn't suit what they want to do now. Like I say, getting the ball wide and getting balls into the box. But yeah, it's been a good start, and especially with yeah with with his Liverpool history, the only way you can kind of and that down is by by getting good results and they've done that they were unlucky not to win you know Rafinha's goal was, was fantastic but um, they had some great chances before that and I know Calvert Lewin's got two in two but I think he should, have had, he should have had another couple yesterday at least
2: um, and looking across some of the other games Aston Villa 2-0 at home to Watford positive start for Watford last weekend Rob winning but then kind of back down to earth uh, away at Villa Park this time out I do want to talk about Newcastle and Steve Bruce in just a second but we can't not talk about Danny Ings and his goal shades of Wayne Rooney against Manchester City shades of any incredible bicycle kick that we've ever seen uh, during during our lives as, as football fans when this gets held up in the list in the pantheon of bicycle kicks whereabouts are we putting it because it was a hell of a finish and Danny Ings is, is very kind of shy and very Um, closed when he comes to doing interviews and even in his post-match he just kind of said yeah we work on this in training, the ball came to me X, Y and Z and I finished it but this was a hell of a goal that already could be a goal of a season candidate
0: well, it's certainly goal of the month and I think it will be there at the end of the season as one of the goals of the campaign. Uh, it was a fantastic finish. You know, I think Danny Ings has got that. I think it's great pick up by Aston Villa. Uh, I was surprised that maybe one of the top four, top six teams didn't go for him simply because of his contract situation uh, and his value at that time. But I think he's going to help Villa maybe stabilise at least in the post-Grealish years now, be able to get in that kind of mid-table, stay in the division. I think that's really important, obviously, for us Villa to stay in the Premier League this season. Um, and the expectation, of course, is higher than that. But Ings is, a, is an out-and-out goal scorer. And if he gets 20 goals this season, you know, he'll be a Villa folk, a folklore hero immediately.
2: Uh, Looking at Newcastle, Sam, Steve Bruce, we know last season there was difficulties in terms of his relationship with the fans but based on a fairly solid end to the campaign and the fact that they didn't really drop into too much of deep relegation danger has probably bought him a stay of execution. He stayed at the club. Mike Ashley has come out and backed him and said that he wants him to continue but Based on the start, they've had a couple of decisions go against them. And again, yesterday um, against Aston Villa, Emiliano Martin has absolutely got away with one where he nearly decapitated Callum Wilson. But similarly to Arsenal, but different, obviously, based on the amount of money that's been spent at the Emirates this season, it won't take long for people to start questioning Bruce, for the vultures to start circling, if the other side of the international break, they're still losing games and still struggling.
1: No, exactly. It won't take uh, it won't take long at all. Um, basically, because Newcastle fans effectively just don't like him and can't you know can't wait to get him out. Um, last season, it was probably easy to ignore, and ultimately they were right not to get rid of him because it, it ended up well. But yeah, if we're talking the, the flip side of Benitez, if you're unpopular and you're not getting the results, and now you've got the fans in the stadium, so all of Geordies back at St. George, Saint George's Park, Saint James's Park. Um, if it's not going well, it, it, it won't take long this time to, um, to tip my Ashley over the edge on a thought. So, yeah, the only way to sort that out, as I said before about Benitez, is, is get results. But obviously, seemingly harder for Newcastle at this, at this point of the season.
2: Uh, looking at the other game, Rob, we mentioned Brighton at the start of this part of the podcast. Two wins from two, six points. They're up in lofty company, third in the Premier League at the end of the weekend. And this was impressive stuff against Burnley on the opening day. They might have needed a bit of grit and a bit of grunt to, to go to Turf more and get three points. But back on home soil, obviously, again, another full stadium. And, and the Amex can be a loud place when, when Brighton are playing well. And particularly if they're winning games and, and looking to power on up the table, um, when we look at this in terms of players, Ben White has obviously left, and, and that's left a bit of a shadow on the club, but Graham Potter can also look at this as a, as a glass half-full situation. And you've got Yves Basuma, who looks like he's not going to leave before the end of the season. You've got Neil Maupai back amongst the goals. He gave Burnley loads of problems last weekend, finally got himself a goal this weekend. He's a threat if the team is built around him in a positive way. If they keep Bissouma, if there's no more players picked off before the end of the transfer window, What's the target for Brighton this season?
0: Well, obviously they're one of those teams that just want to avoid the relegation zone. But I think yesterday I described them as the South Coast Manchester City, um, and what I meant by that was the system that they're playing this year, playing really high up with their wing backs. It was almost like five in attack, this fluid system all the way through the midfield, and with Besouma backwards and forward showing you know his capabilities in the Premier League. This could be a, a historical year for for Brighton. You know, I think Potter's a an underrated manager I think he's probably the best English manager in the division and I think when you kind of look at their aspirations this, this could be the year that even when they've lost uh, a cornerstone like Ben White 50 million pounds that they might actually kick on they might actually show that they're a top 10 team this year um, defensively they're sound they've got a good goalkeeper they've got good camaraderie a good set of fans I think this could be a really really good year for the Seagulls
2: Uh, And looking at the final game of the weekend, Sam, there's something very Sunday night about this one. Crystal Palace, nil. Brentford, nil. Big positive result for Brentford on the opening day, beating Arsenal. A little bit more of a kind of -of run-of-the-mill Premier League match and a Premier League result in this one. Nil-nil at Selhurst Park, which is no great crime. Selhurst Park is not exactly a a goal-filled ground, whether it was Roy Hodgson last season or Patrick Vieira so far in this one. But we'll touch on Palace in a second. But as for Brentford, it's... Difficult to, again, to get a real handle on them. All that positivity and just the kind of camaraderie to steal, steal Rob's point from, from uh, Brighton was just flowing through them in that Arsenal game. But Palace, Vieira, a little bit of a connection there, obviously, with Arteta, ex-Arsenal midfielder, connections with Manchester City, played there, coached there. He already looks under pressure and, and he's inherited a lot of problems from Hodgson leaving, 12, 13 first-teamers walking out on free transfers. They've brought in a couple of new players, but again, not really anything to excite the fans. And They need goals, they need inspiration, they still need half a team and we're eight days away from the transfer window closing.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy situation, uh, whether he's under pressure or not. Um, I know they've got a bit of a precedent there with... With De Boer. they wanted to do new things and they let him do new things in terms of the transfer market and then they didn't, you know. It, it, to be fair, it started terribly and they got rid. Um, but you would like to think there'd be recognition there that, like you say, there's been a lot of problems inherited in terms of all the players having to leave. Um, completely new type of players being brought in and overall as well, young players. Um, I, I think there was a bit of frustration around Palace fans yesterday, but from what I saw, they had a couple of good chances and... Um, were pretty close not loads they also had teething problems you can see we're playing the ball out from the back but that's inevitable you know if you play in a completely new style after years of Hodgson ball and that's that's going to happen you know the fans are going to have to accept that I would like to think that the club will accept that and they'll give Vieira a bit of time um to bed in really um obviously it's probably slightly worrying but it's it I wouldn't say worrying it's early days um especially after having played Chelsea last week and even Brentford. I know Brentford have just come up, but Brentford know exactly what they want to do and they've been doing it for years. Palace do not know what they want to do. Well, they do know what they want to do, but they've not been doing it for years. It's brand new to them. So it's no surprise, really, that they couldn't find a breakthrough against a team who have got a very solid idea. And that's kind of what Palace are aiming for. So I I did say worrying, but I misspoke, really. Personally, I wouldn't say worrying. It's early days and I'd like to think there'd be a bit of patience there.
2: When you look at Vieira's situation, Rob, obviously De Boer is kind of held up as this managerial joke in the Premier League, one of the shortest 10 years ever. And he's kind of, he's always wheeled out as a little bit of a stat or a little bit of trivia knowledge when it comes to disastrous Premier League reigns. And Vieira, as Sam said, is probably going to be given a bit more time when you're coming in off the back of such a long and steady and solid situation that they had with Roy Hodgson. But I do agree with this idea that there doesn't necessarily seem to be a plan Under Hodgson, Palace's plan was plain for everybody to see. You could see it from a million miles away. Stay solid, stay compact, win your individual battles, particularly the centre-backs and central midfielders, try and get the ball forward to Zaha as much as possible and then rely on uh, Benteke getting the odd goal, Schlupp getting the odd goal to, to get you over the line, get these narrow wins to keep you out of the relegation battle. Palace fans will probably look at Vieira and think things might be a bit more expansive, what can they expect from him? What, is, what does Patrick Vieira have to do to try and turn things a little bit more positive at Palace? Well, he has talked about playing a more ex-
0: expansive style and no doubt that's part of the sales pitch. I think here coming to Crystal Palace, his first big job in England in the Premier League. Uh, I know a little bit about the uh, the ownership at, Man- uh, at, uh, at Crystal Palace and Sellers Park and their aspirations. And one of the things really that they want to do is survive. You know, they're not a team that have big ideas about a stylistic team that that play beautiful football and that kind of work their way up the division romantically that's not really what Crystal Palace is about so I think going for Vieira was a one part a bit of a, a kind of PR move you know he's a he's a big name someone's come in a little bit different obviously to Roy Hodgson but ultimately Crystal Palace want to survive and I think that if we get 10 or 15 games into the season and Crystal Palace are rooted in that bottom three that's project over you know and that's what happened really with Hodgson before we talked about there with the um Whenever, whenever Crystal Palace have ever tried to play expansively and it's gone wrong, the ownership there and the chairman has always pushed the button quickly to be able to make sure they get results and stay in the division because that cash cow being in the Premier League, it doesn't matter how well you're playing, you've just got to be there. Um, there's no room to drop into the championship. And Patrick Vieira will not survive poor results at Crystal Palace.
2: No, no, I agree, but inevitably, nobody is absolutely safe when it comes to the Premier League sack race, but I think I speak for everybody, Arsenal, Manchester City, Premier League, where we don't want another Frank de Boer situation with Patrick Vieira. Gents, we're going to call it there for the Football Social Daily Premier League review show, another big weekend of action, and we'll be back on the review show next weekend, but as we are back to seven days a week, the team will be here, first thing on Monday morning, talking at some of the big talking points from the weekend, as well as Previewing the Monday night action as Jim's West Ham take on Leicester City. Rob, Sam, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you very much. Great stuff, guys. And don't forget, if you're a fan of the podcast, click subscribe on this episode and you can get a brand new one every single day. And if you do like the podcast, feel free to leave us a review, give us a shout out on social media if you follow us. And if you don't, it is at the Sports Social. We'll speak to you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk
1: Step into the world of power,
0: loyalty and luck I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse With family, cannolis and spins mean everything Now you want to get
2: mixed up in the family business
0: Introducing The Godfather at choppacasino.com.